Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, another week of our being scattered together. We are working week by week to uh, get us into this place. Uh, I've got a few gathered with me this morning to help and encourage me uh, as we are moving towards regular in-person gathering in this space, which uh, we are now permitted to do. So we're getting everyone's comfortability there. We're getting there. Everything's coming together slowly. Just uh, thank you for your patience and thank you for those of you who are gathering in this way today. I hope it's a blessing and encouragement to you. Uh, We're going to do what we do each week. We're going to look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to our passage today? Now we're beginning chapter 6 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 1, just four verses today. When you found out, follow along with me. Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. How many of us are already happy that Jesus says practicing your righteousness? Uh, That he understands that for us, righteousness is something we're not just immediately good at. We need to practice it. I'm pretty glad about that. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is God's word. Let me uh, quickly pray for us, and then we will dive into this word today. Uh, Spirit of God, illumine now your word to us. Open eyes and ears and hearts to receive what it is you want to accomplish in us. God, you tell us you never send out your word, and it returns to you void. It does accomplish the purpose for which you send it. We trust you to do that in each one of us today as we hear this word. God, as you've done this in mine, my heart and my mind, now I ask, as I always do, Eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. This is a story you you may have heard me reference at least once before. It comes from an old sermon from our friend Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in the land. And one day, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. And he took it to his king and said, my lord... This is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the land. I want to give you a plot of land freely as a gift so that you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But... There was a nobleman in the court who overheard this conversation and thought to himself, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, imagine if you were to give something greater. And so the next day, the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion and he bowed low and said, my lord, I breed horses. This is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, and then simply dismissed the man. Well, the nobleman was 
quite perplexed by this. And so the king said, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. So we're continuing in this series this morning through the Gospel of Matthew. We're entitling Kingdom Come. And as we continue looking at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which is contained in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's Gospel, we're moving now into a a new subsection of Jesus' teaching as we move now into chapter 6. Now, just for a quick review, the Beatitudes, which are at the beginning of chapter 5, that's a description of what a kingdom citizen is. And then the rest of chapter 5 described a righteous living of a kingdom citizen. Righteousness that Jesus says must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, but he also goes on to reveal that he's come to fulfill and complete on our behalf. But as we move into chapter 6, we see Jesus now wants to show us how it is we live righteously, how to live righteously, or, or we could say Jesus doesn't just want to talk about what we do as righteous people, but what, what is the why behind the things that we do. And as we come to the first of three acts of righteousness that Jesus says we are to practice, which uh, we see actually all three of these in verses 1 through 18 of our passage, these are actually really spiritual disciplines. I think the story that we began with about a king, a farmer, and a nobleman just perfectly illustrates what it is that Jesus wants to teach us about our giving to the needy, or I'm going to say today our acts of charity. For as you see from verse 1, look with me there, The big idea of what Jesus wants to consider in each of these spiritual disciplines is why it is we're really doing them and for whom. Why are we doing these acts of righteousness and who are we really doing them for? And maybe you'd look at these three spiritual disciplines. We've got charity, prayer, and then fasting. You'd look at those and you'd be like, like, isn't that pretty obvious why we do those things and for whom? Like, That seems like that's pretty obvious. Well, and yet, I don't know. I think even as that story that we just opened with reveals, the answer to that question may not be as obvious as we think. And that, because that story, what it clearly illustrates is that it's entirely possible to be doing the right things, but doing them for the wrong reasons. And so as we look at what Jesus wants to teach us in our passage today about the why behind our giving, The why behind our acts of charity, I want to show us just two things today. We're going to look at the hypocrisy of self-conscious giving and then the greater reward of secret giving. Hypocrisy of self-conscious giving, the greater reward of secret giving. So if you close your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again with me to this passage, Matthew 6, beginning at verse 1. Follow along with me as Jesus calls us to examine the true heart motive behind our righteous acts. Okay. So let's look first of all at the hypocrisy of self-conscious giving. Hypocrisy of self-conscious giving. So look with me again at verse 1. Jesus begins this new section of teaching, again, by saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Which actually, and maybe... The pandemic has affected your memory in the same way it's affected mine, and so you didn't remember either. That actually creates a problem for us. Saying that creates a problem for us because not too far previously, in verse 16 of chapter 5, Jesus says almost the exact opposite thing. feels like he completely contradicts himself. Listen, there he says, in the same way, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So, right? Like, don't those things sound like completely contradictory statements? Which one is it? Am I supposed to let my good deeds be seen? Am I supposed to not let them be seen? Uh, feeling confused now. Which, which one is it? And you know what? You're right. Those two statements absolutely do contradict one another. They do. Until you realize and you notice why it is Jesus says that we're letting those good deeds be seen and for whom we're truly doing them. Because the reality is the call to let our good works be seen in verse 16 to chapter 5 is a call to be courageous in our witness so that God will be seen and glorified. Whereas the warning against letting them be seen in verse 1 of chapter 6 is against doing good works so that we are the ones who are seen and glorified. That, that's the the, the, the difference there. So as John Stott succinctly puts it, he says, it is our own human cowardice which made Jesus said, say, let your light shine before men. And it is our human vanity which made him tell us to beware of practicing our piety before others. And I think that distinction, like what's really going on, why those are different, becomes much more clear when we look at the example that Jesus gives us of self-conscious or what he calls hypocritical giving there in verse 2. Look with me. Jesus says thus, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, hypocrites, that, that's a word we, we hear quite commonly. If you're watching this today and you're not part of a church gathering, maybe that's one of the reasons you don't go to church, because your mind is set that, you know, yeah, the church, that's that place that's full of hypocrites. Um, we, we use this word quite often, and yet the term that Jesus uses here, hypocrites, he uses it in all three of these examples of spiritual disciplines, and almost certainly he's using it to refer to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's the one that, they're, that he's calling hypocrites. Now, in Jesus' day, this word hypocrite was a word to describe Greek actors, on a stage, and how they would wear different masks in order to play different roles. Now, yes, centuries later, uh, William Shakespeare would famously say, all the world is a stage, and all men and women are merely players upon it. But uh, these guys kind of took that to an unhealthy extreme and began to allow that to, to seep into their spiritual lives and the way that they acted before God and others. But because whether or not these are literal trumpets that Jesus is talking about, or if he's speaking metaphorically, what's plain is that in drawing attention to their acts of generosity in order to make sure that everyone around is looking, rather than being truly generous in their act of giving, they are merely putting on a performance. They're, they're play acting, says Jesus. And rather than truly seeking to serve the needs of others, the only person they're actually seeking to serve is themselves. Now, this is important to note, and I don't want us to miss this, particularly as we think about applying this to our own lives today. The giving itself is not the problem, right? That's not the issue in what Jesus is saying here. The giving itself is not the problem. For just as we're going to see with prayer, we're going to see with fasting, generosity in our giving, uh, caring for the needs of others, uh, is an expected, understood part of what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom. That, 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 that's not the problem, the giving itself. Again, look, Jesus says there in verse 2, not if there ever happens to be a time when you give. He says when you give. So it's an expected, understood part. But what it does mean is that our giving alone is not all that's required. The, the why and the for whom behind our acts of giving also matters to Jesus. In fact, it matters a great deal to him. 
And so that means even if we look like the, the most generous, sacrificial worshiper in the world to everyone else around us, Jesus sees past our masks, sees past our play acting, and is not fooled in the least. Which means the question that we ultimately need to ask ourselves in any act of giving, whatever it happens to be, uh, don't confine it just to money, any act of giving or generosity to meet a need of another person, the question we ultimately need to ask ourselves is, whose reward am I truly seeking? Whose well done am I really looking to receive? Jesus reveals the answer to that question for these trumpet-blowing play actors in the synagogues and street corners, telling us that the why behind their giving is that they may be praised by others. That's why they're doing it. They want to be praised by others, and Jesus says, right, okay, look at the end of verse 2, fine. If, if, if that's all the reward that you're truly seeking, then congratulations. You have received your reward in full. Excellent. But the clear implication when you combine Jesus' example in verse 2 with what he just said in verse 1 is that you cannot seek to, to have both. We cannot seek the well done of the Father and the well done of everybody else around us. It doesn't work like that, says Jesus. Now, yes, absolutely, 100%. You may end up receiving both. Absolutely, that does happen. When you're seeking to receive the well done, the reward of the Father, you may end up in some degree being praised by others. It's possible. But, when you're seeking the praise of others as well as the well done of God, what Jesus says is if you're seeking to have both, all you really end up getting is the well done of others. You don't get my well done. You don't get mine. And so when you think about your own acts of giving, the, the ways that you are generous, your acts of charity that you are involved in today, I think this is a great time. Stop and, and take a moment to pause and really reflect. If you're watching this at home right now, maybe if you want, stop and pause the video for a minute. Really pause and, and ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to you what's really true about the why as well as the for whom behind your acts of giving, behind your acts of generosity. What is the why and the for whom truly? And again, as I said, don't, don't limit this to giving financially, giving money to some kind of a need. This could include all kinds of different ways, a giving of your time to somebody uh, who's in need of that, giving, uh, you've got a certain talent to help somebody. I can fix your car. I know how to repair your fence, whatever, like any kind of acts of generosity and giving, whatever it is, whose well done are you truly seeking in those acts of charity? And I know, listen, I get it. Sometimes that can be confusing. That, that can be complicated because our motives are always mixed to some degree, aren't they? They're just, that, that's just the reality of living in a broken world. And so I don't mean to, to cast like shame or doubt onto any of your motives. When you think of those things and you're like, no, I genuinely was seeking the well done of the Father. But maybe my motives were mixed. Like I don't mean to cast shame on anything like that. Sometimes it is complicated to answer that question. But other times, it's actually much easier to answer the question. And, and any struggle to discern the answer is really just because we don't like what the answer reveals about us when we see it. Like, for example, um, in, in our home group right now, we're studying through the book of Acts. And when you come to a story of, like, Ananias and Sapphira, if you know that story, they, these are a couple who sold a plot of land. This was kind of what, what the church was giving generously and doing these acts of charity. They sold a plot of land brought all the proceeds to the church and said, we want to just give this as an act of service to God. And, and 
problem was that they didn't actually give all of the money. <laughs> they, they told everyone, yeah, this is all the money, and yet they kept back uh, a great portion of it, you know, given more like 60%, hey, we've got some credit card debt we need to pay down, or we wanted to head away on a quick vacation. So we're giving most of it. But they told everyone, hey, this is all of it. Now, what's going on in that moment? What's happening when they're doing that? They, they want the praise of others for being generous without being truly as generous as they say they're being. They want the well done of God and the well done of others. They're seeking both. And in the end, the results are disastrous. If you read that story today, check it out. It it's, goes bad. But even in my own life, even in my own life, man, I am, I'm deeply ashamed when I look back on my life at some of those days before God has done some deeply humbling work in my life and remember how blatantly, how, how just unashamedly I would seek the well done of others when I was leading in worship, leading people in, in music and singing and in, uh, in, in church service and choirs and that kind of thing, just how blatantly I wanted, I loved the well done of others, the applause of others for myself. The problem was, and this is the hard thing, and I kind of see the problem here, it's so easy to mask that, that disordered love. It's so easy to spiritualize it away so that people don't even see, they can't even tell that as I'm leading them to worship Jesus, that the one that I really ultimately want to be worshipped, or at least to be worshipped as well, is myself. But God saw. He, he was not fooled at all. And I know now, I can tell you, like, I know it is only the grace and mercy of God to me. That, that he could forgive that pride, forgive that, that robbing of glory which was his and use me in any way as a minister still in this church. I, I'm amazed at his grace to me to do that. But that's an example from the scriptures. That, that's an example from my life. What, what about you? What about you? Where do you see or have you seen this kind of same tendency in your own life? Think, think back even to the last time you can remember when you were generous when you did some act of charity with someone else. Maybe that was you were financially generous, you helped them out with a need. Maybe you um, gave some time to someone who just needed someone to be with them and spend time with them. Maybe you helped somebody paint their house or whatever it is. You, you gave some talent, whatever it was. Think back to that situation in your mind right now and then ask yourself this question. Was the goal of my giving to give greater glory to the God to whom I owe everything and who has been profoundly generous to me? Or was the goal of my generosity primarily that I appear to others to be generous? And again, I know the, the answer to that question can absolutely be complicated. It can be difficult to discern, and I'm not trying to throw shade on, on acts of generosity that were genuinely, genuinely done to the best of your ability for the well done of the Father. But I think we could probably also agree that the temptation to seek the well done of others for ourselves, it's real. Like, that's a real thing. It's strong, and, and at times we fall victim to it, maybe more often than we'd like to admit. And if that's true, I think the question then becomes, okay, so how can we avoid falling victim to that temptation when it comes? How, how, how do we avoid, like, what spiritual strategies can I put in place that are going to guard my heart against self-conscious hypocritical giving? What can I do? Well, that's what Jesus is going to show us now. That's the last thing I want to look at in our passage here. And so uh, follow along with me now as we look at now the greater reward of secret giving. 
A greater reward of secret giving. So if you look now at verses 3 and 4, you see that Jesus begins this contrasting proposal for his kingdom citizens with the word but. That, that's how we can tell he's talking about something different now. Again, verse 3, he says, but when you give to the needy, okay, then there it is, not, not if, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about there, uh, but what I want to highlight in particular as it relates to avoiding self-conscious hypocritical giving is the way I think Jesus gives us two strategies encapsulated within those two verses, uh, and, and those two strategies are this. The first is a strategy to help us avoid seeking to be praised by others, and then the second is a strategy that he gives us to avoid seeking to seeking to give praise to ourselves. So let's, let's look, first of all, at what Jesus says about avoiding the temptation to seek the praise of others in our acts of charity. And you see it there in verse 4. Look, look with me. Immediately after Jesus gives this cryptic image of don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, we'll, we'll talk about what that means in a minute. But he says the result of that action, whatever it is, is this secret giving. Secret giving. Now maybe... What comes to mind when you think of that is like a secret admirer, a secret admirer when you think of secret giving. Maybe you think about secret Santa for your office party, uh, your, your college friends, you're doing a Christmas party and it's secret Santa. Maybe you think of that comes to mind with secret giving, but whatever it is, I think we all get the idea that secret giving means at least the person receiving whatever we've given generously to them doesn't know who gave it to them. They don't know who it was that's being so generous with them, right? That's how secret giving works. But do you see, okay, already that helps to deal with the problem. Secret giving, it removes any possibility of someone praising me or directing praise towards me. Because if I don't know that you were the one who was so generous towards me, I'm not going to thank you. I'm not going to praise you in particular for that act. I'm just going to be grateful. I'm just going to be thankful for it. Which is exactly why I think Jesus presents this idea of secret giving as the answer or as the antidote to the temptation to seek to be praised by others in our acts of charity. And maybe you already know this, maybe you already practice this, but the reality is there's literally so many, like hundreds of beautiful, really profound ways that we can do this exact thing in order to serve the needs of others in a way of secret giving. It could be anything from an envelope with cash, enough to cover groceries or rent for next month, to cookie bombing your dorm mates in, in your dorm. Uh, it could be anything from secretly clearing the walk of snow and whatever from your neighbor's home before they get up, or paying for the coffee for someone behind you in, in the drive-thru. Oh, there's so many different examples of ways we can do this where nobody ever knows who was the person that gave. Point Jesus is making there, the end of verse 4, look again. Even if this means whoever you've been generous towards never sees, never knows that it was you who gave, never knows that it was you who served them, and never praises you at all for your generosity, what Jesus wants us to clearly know is that your Father sees, He does see, and He will reward you Himself, and, and reward you with an eternal, imperishable reward that, that's far greater than the temporary fleeting applause of others. His reward is permanent and eternal. It doesn't fade. 
which is great. That, that for me is su- super helpful. When I think about that, I'm already encouraged this week and some ideas that I have about ways that I can be involved in giving in secret. The problem with the antidote, if I can call it a problem, however, is that even when we're enabled to avoid seeking praise for ourselves in our acts of generosity, we can still be tempted to praise and congratulate ourselves. <laughs> There's just one more person we have to deal with when it comes to seeking praise for ourselves, like just imagine this scenario. You're, you're at a restaurant and you look across the room and there's a young family eating. You can see they're struggling, struggling to keep the kids in their seats. You know, it's kind of a chaotic thing. You're like, I'm going to pay their bill. I'm going to pay their bill. Just bless them. Secret giving. You know, a pastor was talking about that. I want to do some secret giving and just pay for that bill. What's going on in your heart? Or what could be going on in your heart? when you see the waiter walking over to that table to let them know that someone in the restaurant has paid for that bill, and, that, and you know, that's, that's me. I, I did that. Or, or what goes on in your heart as, as the waiter starts walking back towards your table and, and gives you that kind of wink and knowing smile? What, what, what goes on in your heart as that happens? It, it could be genuine thankfulness. God, thank you that you've given me sufficient resources that I can bless that family I think that's going like, to really be a blessing to them. It could be that. But couldn't it also be so easily to become self-congratulation? Man, that was, that was pretty generous what I did. That was pretty good. Or even seeking kind of a secondary vicarious kind of praise. For even if that person doesn't know that you were generous, the, the waiter or the manager who communicated that praise, suddenly now you're seeking from them in a vicarious way to be seen as a generous, benevolent person. It's so insidious the way this can happen. As F.D. Bruner says so simply, as it relates to our acts of charity, he says, not only should there be no external trumpets, but neither should there be any internal music. And I think understanding that tendency towards self-congratulation, this is exactly why Jesus tells his kingdom citizens, when you give to those in need, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's why he says that. He's trying to give us this this strategy to avoid self-congratulation in our giving, which maybe sounds confusing. It's a weird image, actually, kind of. Uh, I came up with all kinds of weird images in my mind when I see that. I'm like, does that mean, like, as I'm paying for the bill for that family, I should put my left hand behind my back when I tap my visa uh, on the machine? Uh, Does it mean on a Sunday morning I should try to write my offering check with my eyes closed so I don't know how much I'm giving? Like, No, that's not what Jesus is getting at. Nor is Jesus promoting or recommending unplanned, foolish giving that that would impoverish others at the expense of your impulsive spending. You know what? Yeah, we're not going to be able to pay for groceries next month, but I just want to bless everybody in this room by buying everybody dessert in the restaurant. Like, it doesn't mean that either. Our our giving ought to be thoughtful and, and reasoned. It shouldn't just be wasteful and just chucking money around or chucking time or whatever it is. What Jesus is calling us to with this image, very simply, is to cultivate an attitude of self-forgetfulness. That's really what it comes down to. To cultivate an attitude of self-forgetfulness, to give generously without allowing our one hand that we give with to be joined with the other hand, either in a self-congratulatory shake or applause or anything, but just simply that we would give freely and as unselfconsciously as possible. That's the image Jesus is giving us. The point in all of this discussion of 
hypocritical, self-conscious giving versus Jesus' kind of counter-proposal of how he wants his kingdom citizens to practice charity. It can all be boiled down to a single, a single diagnostic question. Is the knowledge that my father sees my acts of giving and that he will reward me enough? That, that's really what it kind of boils down to in all of this. Is it enough? Is it enough for you? Is it enough for me to know that my father sees and that he will reward me? Because in answering that question, what you reveal is the true heart motivation behind your giving. And I know we all know what the right answer is supposed to be. We know the Sunday school answer. Yes, it is enough. It is enough. And yet, I think what we find when we've been truly generous to someone, sacrificially give to them, I think what we find in that moment is the answer is not quite so easy. We kind of do want them to see and notice, don't we? And it doesn't mean there's not a, a, an okay level of that, but I think it's so easy to transfer into self-congratulation. So easy to be like, I need your applause and the well done of my Father. Jesus says we can't have both. But that's actually the problem. The giving of the hypocritical self-conscious giver and the giver of the truly generous person, they both look the exact same on the outside. When you're watching, you're not going to be able to, you won't necessarily be able to see the difference. Like remember that story that we began with, the, the king, the farmer, and the nobleman. Uh, both of them gave incredible gifts. Uh, anyone watching would be like, yeah, they both are really generous people. And yet, uh, as we saw, the true motivation behind their giving was not determined by the size of their gift or the giving itself, but when the king, it says, discerned their heart, discern what was going on underneath, which means the blessing and the curse of what Jesus is presenting in this passage this morning is that in the end, no one's going to know who's well done you're truly seeking but you and, and God. That's the only people that are going to know. And yet, as Jesus clearly says, if the well done that you seek and want most is the well done of others, then that's all you'll receive. You'll receive that and nothing more. But if we want the well done of our Father, who sees and will reward what is done in secret, even when no one else does, then we need to seek to cultivate that attitude of self-forgetfulness, not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing so that we may receive his eternal imperishable reward. That's the goal. <sighs> giving, giving of what we have in order to serve the needs of others in, in, in whatever way that looks like. That, that's an expected, understood part of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. Again, it's not if there's ever an opportunity for, for you to give, you should think about it. When you give, says Jesus, and the reason it's an expected, understood part of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom is because it's in following the example of our Savior, who gave everything, even to the point of giving his own life, in order to make us citizens of this kingdom and to bring us into a restored relationship with God. As, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor for your sake, so that by his poverty we might become rich. That's the message of the gospel, that God emptied himself of everything in order to make us, give us riches and inheritance of a restored, adopted relationship with God through him. But the call to each of us, if we truly see the knowledge as well as the well done of our Father as enough, is just to honestly examine 
from, from, from this moment forward as you think about it, to just honestly examine the true motivation of your heart behind every act of generosity. And then, confess and repent every place where the why and the for whom is actually you, you see is actually you. And that's not, that's not meant to like make you just go crazy in your acts of giving. Like I have to always constantly think, but it's just, it's a call to, re- to acknowledge the reality that our motives are mixed. Living in this sinful, broken world, our motives are always going to be mixed. But when we can just be open and acknowledge the fact that you know, there's going to be times I'm tempted towards this, when I can be real about that and examine my giving, who's, who's well done am I seeking here? Well, then that allows, that opens us to the work of the Holy Spirit, who, who wants to, when, when we, can, we confess our sins, right? When we acknowledge our sin, he's faithful and just. And so he will continue that work to mold our hearts and minds more and more into conformity with the heart and mind of our generous, self-sacrificing Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And that's why we open ourselves to say, examine my heart. Whose well done am I seeking in this giving? And then open ourselves to his changing, conforming work in our lives. Amen. Amen. God help us to do it. Let me leave us just quickly with this closing benediction as we head off now to whatever our day is going to contain. And if you remember, uh, hopefully we'll contain maybe another 30 to 40 minutes of some trimesterly meeting as we hear about what God is doing in our church and some important things to vote on. So please make time for that today as well. Let me give us a closing benediction and then we'll be dismissed. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself... And God, our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, strengthen your hearts and encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Amen. Go in the grace and the peace of Christ.